Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a video and podcast show that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Today I have with me a very, very successful medical professional and an entrepreneur from South Africa. And he has behind him my favorite person, Mr. Nelson Mandela, Dr. Terence Comel. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ashutosh. Thanks, thanks for having me. Terence is uh, a fellow YPO member. He's been trained by the Harvard School of Public Health. He's also been to Columbia and the London Business School. So Terence, tell me, what would you say are three key milestones in your life or career? Sure. I think the year 2001 was a critical milestone for me, 2000, 2001. When I was starting my, my, my professional career, deciding which route to go, mm-hmm. and contrary to popular belief, I chose to join the armed forces, so I joined the military. Okay. I had scholarships, but, but I chose the military purely because it was a, a, a combination of being able to serve the country and train at exactly the same time. Mm-hmm. We've grown up with a, with a model in our family of seva and public service, okay. and that became a huge factor for us in, in, in making that decision. Mm-hmm. So that was the first major milestone. The second milestone would be the day my, my uh, child was born, my first child, Aditi, in 2018, right. which changed, no matter how much you prepare for it and you're married and life, life is great, but it changes your perspective of what responsibility looks like. Right. And suddenly you start to understand what your parents had gone through for very, very many years, right. which is a huge dynamic. And the third most important and the most recent was the tragic passing of my father now in, in, in July this year, which was a massive reset to my entire perspective of life and what's important. Like we were having the same discussions and then pondering about that in, in, in the changes due to COVID. But when it actually happens to you and your family changes and you need to step up in shoes that are way too big to fill and you're never ready for that, that that's been the third major milestone for me. Amazing. Amazing. So, you know, Terence, you're a person of Indian origin, I think, uh, you know, and I know people of Indian origin love to send their children to become doctors. I know that's the case in India. <laughs> but what made you choose healthcare as a career? Sure. I can tell you from personal experience, Ashutosh, I was, I was born premature. And we were part, prior to my time, obviously, my father had medical aid. But prior to that time, I've heard of, of horror stories. Because remember, I was born in an apartheid country. And healthcare was seen almost as a privilege, not as a right as it should be. Right. And I know of horror stories, and I've, I've met family of mine in, in government facilities who go and sleep in the queue on the benches the night before so they can hopefully be seen by 4 p.m. the next day. Wow. So to me, access to healthcare was a challenge that we still experience in very many parts of the developing world. Mm-hmm. And as I grew up, I, I had health, health concerns and health needs and looked at what was the only profession in which you could do your profession and not have it focused on money, although people have different views today. And that was, that was healthcare and medicine. So it was a calling for very, very many years to, to make that difference. Because yes, you could live a comfortable lifestyle, but it had nothing to do with prestige or family pushing to do that. We, we grew up in a family of, of public service for all our lives, very uh, spiritual in our perspective. And it was a natural progression of what we did. And that is how a lot of my businesses evolved in focusing on how can we improve the quality of lives of everyone else. And I'm not saying medicine's the only way, but to me, it's probably, in, in my experience, the most noble and involved way. Mm. Wonderful. 
you are also, I think, are a professor of practice at Northwestern University. Correct. What What exactly is that? Uh, what What does professor of practice mean? Sure. To To, to contrast it, you get tenured professorships who are, are full time academics, either full time teaching or full time in research. Professors of practice, in my understanding, are brought to the institution to bring extensive industry knowledge to the institution. So when some people are spending their time doing research and research papers, as a, as a professional and an entrepreneur and someone from industry, you've spent years honing your skill in, in, in actually practicing mm. what the institution teaches. And bringing that complements what is being taught in that environment. So you end up contributing to the institution as well as the, the student community, both undergraduate and graduate, to bring in experience and real-world teaching capacity and capabilities. And tell me a little bit about the kind of work that you're doing in your business. Sure. Uh, at the moment, as, as you know, most, most people are pivoting a lot of what they do. But my core businesses, we have investments in, in, in some property through our investment uh, businesses and in a range of uh, smaller investments. But our core focus is in healthcare services. Mm -hmm. So my, the, the biggest business that, that we operate and lead, the Medical Expert Consulting Group, is a, a, is a platform business that operates across South Africa, but I work in Mauritius and the SADC region. And we are busy working on some, some expanded relationships. But it provides healthcare services in seven of the nine states, mostly in South Africa, mm -hmm. to a very unique client set, which is the, the, the medical legal arena. So it's mm -hmm. personal injury medicine and services to what in the U.S. would be known as IME or independent medical exams or rehabilitation medicine. Mm -hmm. So we provide services to anybody involved in a claim matter, whether it be insurance for government, against government, for industry, for claims, for disability, mm -hmm. so that they can access their benefits. We can quantify collectively through our, our extensive medical teams and services mm -hmm. what their work involves, as well as get them back to a quality of life as close as possible as normal which is an important factor to me. And this is what a B2C platform? This is a B2C, but looking at the volume and scale, it's mostly a B2B okay. because our clientele are usually, you would do a B2C client if he, if, if he really wanted to invest in it. Mm. But usually in our work, it's somebody defending a claim. So it's either the government mm. or an insurance agency or related insurer or somebody litigating. So a law firm or a, a, a group of firms who are litigating for a claim. We're completely independent of the outcome. We have no interest in the outcome at the, at the court process. Our duty is to remain neutral. So our, our, our work is to provide assistance to the court or the arbitrating party mm -hmm. to make an informed decision. Terrific. And Terence, what are some of the key healthcare challenges that South Africa faces? And what are, what are you doing about it? Sure. I think Ajitur is very much uh, like India, uh, South Africa, or most of the developing world. We have a two-tiered healthcare system. And there are multiple compounding factors. But because of South Africa's political history, we have strong relationships with the large part of the developing world, including India and then the rest of Africa and Cuba and other related countries. But in that process, what has happened is we have a very large network of, of a private healthcare system that's extremely overburdened and bursting at its seams. Mm -hmm. And what contributes to that, friends and, 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 and colleagues who come from other countries as refugees, uh, legally or illegally, and that's a totally different discussion. But once you're in, in, in the country, uh, the country bears the duty to provide healthcare to you. But what that means is a hospital or a government system may budget for 10 or 20 million consultations at a facility. And then you have a large number of documented, undocumented patients coming in that are 100% more than what you have as a budget. So these are the, the structural constraints of what we have. 
And then you have a very robust and amazing public private healthcare system, right. which which is on par with some of the best in the world. So you have people standing in in queues for hours to get Panado for free at a public system, mm-hmm. and then you have AI technology assisted diagnostics and robotic surgery in exactly the same city five miles away, amazing. and people people have medical insurance for that. So I think the 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 haves and have nots, the disparity in the Gini coefficient, is a major thing in South Africa. Because there is a major disparity. Although President Mandela brought about peace and an equality to everyone, and everyone's an equal citizen, the historical injustices have not been equalized, which which is a systemic problem, like in most countries that that had 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 distressing pasts. So I think what we're doing as our businesses is making sure these services, because a large volume, if not 95% of our patients, are people from very very poor communities. So when we built our business system. If you needed to have an assessment and you saw an orthopedic surgeon, you'd come in after your lawyer decided you're going to see him, then an OT, and then a different person, and this could be a three to five year process. Mm. And this poor patient would have a fractured leg or a brain injury or various, you know, complexities. Our business provides convenience for that patient, okay. so they come in for an assessment. They're in in the morning, out in the afternoon, in what was previously an 18 to 36 month process. They provided support. They provided facilities, sandwiches if need be, snacks if necessary and supported. And there's no differentiation. We've actually had some patients with audacity saying, "Those are poorer communities. Can I have a different room?" And we said, "Everyone who walks through our door yeah. is equally important to us because our existence is for them and it's because of them." Okay. So that's what we're doing in our core businesses. But as part of the Family Foundation and a lot of the nonprofit work I do, I lead an organization called Tolwana Salarato, in which we do nu- nutrition, healthcare, and training programs in deep rural South Africa in the mining communities, mm. in which people live literally on government grants and and minimal incomes, and that's what I thoroughly enjoy in, in being able to give back to the system. Okay. And it's scary in this day and age that people don't know the basics of animal handling, basic hygiene, and there's no access to water in schools in this day and age in 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 the countries that we live in. Wow, I mean, you're doing some amazing work, and you know, congratulations and thank you for such an amazing amount of commitment. Tell me, you know, till in India, till we got this large uh, government scheme for health insurance, which was announced by the Prime Minister. Almost eighty-three or eighty-four percent of the people in India used to pay for healthcare out of their own pocket, which obviously created the disparities. And India is no different: exclusive facilities and government facilities, which are changing. Yes. Um, what is it, what is it like in in South Africa? In South Africa, you have <clears throat> a public system that you do have some facilities that are very rural and minimal services. and then you have world class facilities for example one of the universities that i trained at in at university of pretoria the steve beaker facilities an eight story world class facility if i were unwell and had an emergency if it, it if it was a choice between a private system and the public system i'd want to go back to that academic government facility correct because you have the diversity of knowledge the entire academic team that provides your care and the facilities to provide that So I, I wouldn't bash the public system. I think there's there's massive capabilities. It's obviously just an overburdened system. In South Africa, though, you have the private system in which we call it a medical aid, similar to a medical insurance or healthcare insurance, and that's for those who want to go to private facilities. The government facilities, though, have a slight assessment, but by and large, ninety nine percent of the population would pay the equivalent of a dollar or two to open a file, and that's the end of their cost in the public system. So it's it's purely an administration fee. and if you can show you you don't have the income which most people don't then the entire service is 100% for free 
So we have a very robust public health system, but then there's, it's, it's obviously open to abuse. We've had cases where patients come out from countries, three countries north of where we are, sue the government to compel them to provide life-saving surgeries, which we want to provide, but there's a waiting list, right? So it doesn't give you priority. So we have these dynamics and, and professional patients, as we'd like to call them, who, 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 who maximize and abuse the system. But by and large, it's, it's, it's a very, very well-funded system but it's unsustainable in its current model. So let's move on. You know, Terence. I mean, uh, you're you're a multifaceted person, medical doctor, run a foundation, YPO member. And when I was reading about you, you also written about motivation and leadership. Yeah. Tell me about this publication. Sure. I think I write a lot, you know, on, on sharing my perspectives because coming from from an, from a very low income family background in which. Uh, survival was critical and, and then growing into what we've done collectively as a family, as I'd call it, is, is gives you a different perspective of what leadership is as opposed to being born and entitled into certain roles. And to me, one of my biggest guiding principles has been from Swami Vivekananda about they alone live who live for others. The rest are more dead than alive. That's been a motto that's guided my leadership for, 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 for decades. And even when I left home to join the military, that to me has been my, my, my focus and true north and been one of my guiding principles. Mm-hmm. And that motivates me every day of asking, when you go to sleep, and I say that to my kids now, and it's conversations I have with, with anyone that I support and mentor is, have you really created value in this day to the best that you can? Because you have no guarantees of tomorrow. And it's driven home so much so that my dad in his youth, as I'd still like to call it, mm-hmm. passed on tragically very quickly. And he also lived to his, his maximum every day. It's not living reckless. It's living purposefully and with intent. Terence, you're a very committed YPO member and you've been with the organization for a few years. What does YPO give to you? Sure. I think Ashtu, I'm always a YPO at heart. But in, in, you know, of late in the last couple of weeks, I've, I've had to step down from a lot of my champion roles and, and, and engagements with YPO because of, of family commitments and, and commitments to my father's latest state. So just so you understand... I've, I've, to me, being a champion is, is essentially part of the essence of being in YPO. Uh-huh. But uh, of late, I've now stepped away from my roles just so I could focus on, on immediate urgencies. I think it's the first and only organization of its type that I know that creates this level of engagement because it creates almost a family-like safety wherever you go in the world. Yes, pe- there will be nuances and different dynamics with people you engage with. But by and large, the organization creates that platform for, for, for people to connect around the world and find common ground. And if not common ground, just become great friends and, and, and share their journeys together. That's terrific. And how, how many years have you been a YPO member? Not, not, not long enough. So, so till July this year, I think it's four or five years. Fantastic. But I've stepped up to every opportunity that, that had come can, my way. I can, I can imagine. I've, I've seen that. Uh, again, thank you for being such a great champion. So, you know, let me move to some questions for you personally. What does success mean to you? I think success is a, is a vague goalpost that everyone seems to pursue. Mm-hmm. But you need to know internally how you define it in your journey. Mm-hmm. And to me, success is about being able to be happy with what you have mm-hmm. and being able to share and contribute to the broader society with exactly those resources and experiences. Mm-hmm. Because what we gain in our journey is a contribution from society itself. So that to me is that goalpost. 
as a family, we, you know, when I left home with, with, with nothing but a scholarship to join the military, mm-hmm. I told my family, this is where I want to be when I'm 30. And that is where I had set that goalpost. We, I was a year late on, on that goalpost as, as life's journey takes you. And le- it reached a point from a financial perspective and business perspective, the goalpost moved twice. And then we made a decision and, and a conscious decision to say, this is where the line stops. Okay. Beyond this is because we're enjoying the process. And beyond that is what else can we do to add value to everyone else? So I think it is critically important to know that success is not just a measure of what you do, but what you can do for everyone else in their journey with you. Wonderful. So my next question is that you, uh, whatever you're doing, you seem to be doing well. And, uh, you know, you spoke of Vivekananda and you are obviously inspired to do a lot of things. Where do you draw your inspiration from, Terence? Sure. I think besides Swami Vivekananda, Ashtosh, my, my biggest motivation are my parents. Mm-hmm. Knowing the circumstances that we've grown from on both sides of the family, my father being the first only professional, my mom on her side also the same first professional, and me being the first doctor of both generations, coming from a legacy of indentured laborers of four generations, my biggest motivation is how they pursued against all odds to become successful. So a lot of people that I talk to of late say, but Terence, you're very lucky and you're very successful. And I said, but it takes a a long while. And they said, but you're fairly young. And how long is that? And I said, well, 20 years of my journey and 40 years of my parents' professional journey got me to where we are. So it's a collective shared journey of where we are. And it's an appreciation of knowing where you're from. And I think with time and maturity, you learn to understand and appreciate where you're from and never let your external measures of success influence who you are as an individual and stay centered. Very well said. So tell me, I mean, I'm not sure if you'd like to share, but would you like to talk a little bit about how your family arrived in South Africa, what they went through to see you succeed so well? Oh, sure, sure. Happily to do that. My parents, obviously, were were fourth generation South African originally, and we have documents from the ship's papers. They came as indentured laborers under under the British time. And we grew up in a world, and I have have small memories, and my parents more so, of growing up not just indentured, but in in an apartheid state. I I have a vague recollection, but a distinct one, of visiting a family member in a a hospital in in Durban in, in South Africa. And I had been sitting on the beach with my grandmother, and a policeman, a white policeman then had walked up to him and said, the child can play on the sand, but if he touches the water, I'll arrest you. It's a white beach. It, it was that obvious. My parents grew up in a world where they'd be standing at a bus stop for blacks only, and it's raining. And the sheltered white shelter would be empty, but you're not allowed to go there or you'd be arrested. My father grew up in, in extreme abject poverty, and so did my mom. My father, to give you context, was the youngest of 12. They grew up in a two-bedroom house of 12 people. Mm-hmm. He wore the same pair of shoes, which, which I feel the pain even to today, you know, after he's passed on, between, between 14 and 18, which is your largest growth spurt, which resulted in bunions and clawed toes. And he, he's had chronic, he had chronic problems because of that. But it was that level of poverty that they came from. And when he bought his first house, his mortgage was more than his salary per month, but he knew he needed to make progress for his family. And we grew up with what, what in South Africa we call spinach, that the old Indian triangle spinach that grew along the beach. And, you know, fast forward along that, my mom did knitting, she sewed clothes, she did everything possible before going into finance. But their focus was always give our children the best opportunity and best education opportunity 
and, and let them make the, the, the decisions that they want. But because the value system was so strong, I grew up and it, it's, it's uncommon these days. I chose once, once I settled later on to live in an extended family model mm. because I could not make peace. And it was my choice. It wasn't anything imposed to me to live a life of, of, of comfort, not letting your parents share mm. their contribution for 40 to 50 years to get you where you are. So to me, it's a full circle journey. So it's, it's been extreme contributions. They've done everything possible to, to support us. But knowing where they've come from, the, the odds were stacked against them at every single place. Amazing. What an incredible story. Thank you for sharing. That's amazing. So moving on, you know, I've got time for a couple of more questions for you. Sure. The next question is that if you, Terence, were a role model to millions of children who closely followed your life choices, what is the one thing you would change in yourself? I think one thing that I would change and share is fear judgment less. Stop worrying about what people's opinions are of you because everybody's on their own journey. Everybody has their own struggles. And we spend so much time pondering what somebody else may think we actually don't actually do. So the fear of judgment that doesn't exist, it may exist in community. But it exists more in our head. So we prejudge ourselves and become our own worst enemies to stop us doing what we could become very successful at. It's amazing how when you listen to success stories of everyone around the world, it's exactly the same story. People who became successful went against the odds because they went past their fears and focused on, I can make a success of this. I can follow through with this. And that is how I do a lot of what we do across our businesses as, as a collective team. It's because... I am aware of what people's views are, but I don't let it define me. Okay. That's one thing. If I went back 20 years and said, worry less about judgment, I, I may have been in a very different place. Well said. And my last question to you is now going to talk about the photograph behind you, Mr. Mandela. I mean, I've had the unique privilege of meeting him twice and serving on a board that he chaired. What an amazing man. And South Africa is where it is because of him. What does he mean to you? I think the epitome, and that is why I have him in all my videos, is the commitment to success for community in the world with no guarantees. Because, and, and, and that's what a lot of people may have a slightly different view, but the ANC and, and the movement that, that President Mandela had led was not just people of black origin, it was people of Indian origin, of colored origin, of anyone who was non-white. And I have a copy of the Freedom Charter that sits in my office. Mm -hmm. But everybody that collectively contributed, he was conscientious and aware of and recognized when the country got freedom in, in the 90s. But when he went to prison fighting for a principle, when he went to prison and stood steadfast for knowing that justice is for everyone, including the oppressors, he had no guarantees. And that kind of commitment to the world is, is to a large extent unprecedented. And that's what made him as great as he was. And even when he got to power, a lot of people have thought when he came out of prison, he would have then taken revenge. He would have then tried to, to level his scores, but yeah. he didn't. He saw it from a humanitarian perspective saying, maybe your view was wrong for a multitude of reasons. And that is what he did so well. Commitment to society with no guarantees and humility when he came to power. He didn't stay on for a second term. He said, I'm here to do what I need to do. I'll step away and, and, and do what's needed for the world. Very well said. Very well said. Terence, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Um, I'm grateful for so much candor in our chat. 
and I wish you lots of success in everything that you're doing. Thank you so much, Ashutosh, for the, the, the opportunity to, to engage with you, to share with you. A lot of things I've discussed today, I've probably never mentioned in any other public discussion, but I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for your mentorship and support and congratulations on such an amazing product. I think it, it, it's motivating and stimulating at the same time where a lot of people say, but what's the value in this? And you epitomize and embody exactly that, that the shared learning and the shared journey is where collective wisdom comes from. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity and for all that you do. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.